You are listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. On this episode of the EdUp Experience, we welcome Dr. Ward Ulmer, president of Walden University. Dr. Ulmer has over 20 years in higher education leadership, serving in multiple administrative and academic roles. Now, as president of Walden, he is currently serving over 50,000 students. He's dedicated his entire career to helping working professionals advance. In this episode, he'll also talk about diversity, access, and why a tax status does not define the quality of an institution. Now, let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Edip Experience. Joe Salustio here. This is Elizabeth Leiber. And on the line, we have Dr. Ward Ulmer, president of Walden University. Ward, how are you today? How things going? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, good. So before we get started, you know, we uh, uh, you know, want to know how you are. How's your health? How's your family? Uh, how's your inner circle, uh, your extended family doing during, during this pandemic? Everyone, we, we are, are blessed to have great health. Um, I've got a uh, family of six. Uh, my wife, Rachel, and I have four kids, one of which is an ER nurse. And so uh, oh, we, wow. we, we guard ourselves a little bit around her because of what she does every day for a living. But uh, we have been uh, very fortunate to, um, to continue to be safe and healthy throughout this entire um, chaos, if you will. Well, and I'll tell you something, the, the uh, dedication of our frontline workers and our health pr- professionals is, is just amazing. My, uh, my sister-in-law is a pediatric nurse. I mean, going in and dealing with, uh, with all these things is, is really incredible. And, and that's really where I want to start, uh, uh, Ward, is because you, you um, uh, at Walden, you teach a number of programs uh, that are pumping out frontline workers, including, including nursing and, and others, if I'm not mistaken. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, you seeing, uh, a, 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 you know, an increased interest in, in programs for people to go and make a difference on the front lines or people staying away from those types of programs. You seeing any trends? right now with uh, with program interest at all? I, I think it's a little early, Joe, to talk about trends um, just, just simply because of the way our academic calendar works. I can tell you that, that Walden University has a very rich history in um, the, the nursing field, but also, and, and the nursing program sits within our uh, College of Health Sciences, and so there's a lot that goes on there to public health and then uh, there are other programs in other colleges around social workers, counselors, all of these folks being on the front lines. And uh, we, we are seeing, uh, we're, we're not losing pace with, with any of the trends that we've seen in the past. And I, I tell you, when you talk about recognizing frontline workers, I- anytime I speak publicly, I always take a moment because my father is retired military to, to honor our, our military, our veterans. And, and their families, but I have since started doing that with frontline workers and, and first responders as well, because I think they've made such an amazing difference in our society uh, as, as we've really had to learn some hard lessons over the last several months. We really have, and you know that's that's a, a you know that's a good point. Uh, as I saw, uh, I believe it's your 50th anniversary. Is that correct? Walden? That's right. Walden was founded back in 1970. I appreciate you bringing that up for us. Um, we were founded as a doctoral completion institution, and uh, meaning people who had, had started a doctoral program somewhere, but life happened, whether they had a family or changed jobs or whatever reason, they couldn't attend campus anymore or, or live on campus. And uh, so that's the way we've started out. And by the way, we're, we're a different university. Our, our uh, demographics are usually, uh, a lot of our students are in their 40s. Um, some are career changers, some are ladder climbers in their, in their uh, current roles, and uh, we're very excited because for 50 years we have been leading the, uh, the, the way in online education, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Of course, and, uh, you know, I've, as you look and, you know, we do our research uh, here at the EdUp Experience, you know, your positioning at Walden University, there are two things that really stood out to me uh, from your university communications. One was uh, that Walden is a university for working professionals, 
uh, and and you talked of just a, a tad about that with your the average age students and, and where they are in their career. And secondly, um, I saw on um, your statement, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about uh, regarding uh, uh, racial uh, equality and and diversity inclusion, that there was specifically a line in there that says education for good. You want to talk a little bit about your uh, demographics a little bit more in depth in terms of working professionals and what does education for good mean from the Walden University perspective? Of course, great question. So Walden's mission is, uh, and, and I won't recite the mission to you, but it's essentially transforming individuals into scholar practitioners who are going to go out and affect positive social change. And so when we look at uh, individuals at the at the undergrad level, and Walden has programs in, in all levels. We have over 50,000 students, and uh, we've got uh, over 80 programs, and they range from undergraduate, master's degree, and doctoral level. And so we refer to scholar practitioners as those really doing the research, certainly at the doctoral level, and, and it bleeds down into the, the master's level as well. But, but then especially at the undergraduate level, we refer, those in, we refer to those individuals as reflective scholars that they're looking at, at current research. And so because we're a different university, because our, our overall student population is 50% uh, people of color, 76% female, uh, and, and you heard me talk about the, the average age of enrollment uh, is 40. And so be, because we are so different, we, we don't attract people. They, they don't come to Walden University because of our mission of social change. They, uh, they, they simply just come to us because we um, have a, a good reputation. We meet the needs of, of adult working professionals, and we have a mission of access. Now, what happens is when our students graduate, they move to a place where um, because social change is a part of every course in our curriculum, and it, it matters not whether it's a, a social work class or a technology class or business class, there's some aspect of social change in there. And we're also in the process of putting in diversity and inclusion uh, as a part of that in, throughout our curriculum as well. So we're going to follow the same philosophy of, of, of that. When a student graduates, they participate in alumni surveys on a regular basis. Uh, over 90% of our graduates say that they have participated with some form of volunteerism in the last 12 months. And so th that's more what Walden is about, not just, not just transferring knowledge, but teaching a student the ability to go out and apply that knowledge to make the world a better place. And Joe, with our, our world the way it is right now, I don't think that you can find a more fitting mission in any university. You know, it's, and I'm going to pass it to Liz because she just texted me and told me to shut up. So I, I did I, not. <laughs> <laughs> I should have, though. <laughs> you should have. Okay, so I just want to bring up a really important point when it comes to enrollment and marketing because we're talking about, uh, you know, at a university level, talking about students and enrollment. Most students, there are some, but the majority of students in the United States, when they're looking for a university, they don't buy mission um, right away. They, they are looking for their checklist to be ticked. They're looking for the right degree, the right time, the right cost, the right this, the right that, and tactically. But once they get into the school that they've selected, they become a, a, an evangelist of that mission, or at least that's what you're going for as a university. So I think there's a lot of universities out there that make the mistake of thinking that they're being chosen because of their mission or their reputation. Well, that's a very important part. But a lot of students, especially today's financially savvy students, are looking through their checklist first. Then, when they pick their university, they become evangelists that the university is positioning themselves right. And that was a really important distinction in what you said, Ward, and I just wanted to bring that out for, for our listeners to sort of uh, key in on uh, in this episode, because I think that's really uh, insightful of you. Thank you. Thank you. About. As the father of a... Uh... A, a teenage son who is entering his senior year of high school and starting to look where he is going to go to college, I think that's spot on. I'd also add that, that it's one of the, the philosophies here, one of our values here at Walden is we don't take a stance on every issue. We don't have an agenda. Our goal as a university is to build that toolkit for our graduates to go out and further their own agendas. So, uh, so that, I think that's very well said from your part. All right, Liz. <laughs> All right. I got your text. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been super quiet because I'm somewhat fangirling about the idea 
of talking to you because Walden is definitely one of the, when we think about online learning, both Joe and I have worked for many, many years, probably more than we care to admit, in the online learning sector. There are a handful of schools that we know do it well, and Walden definitely would be one of the names that comes to mind in terms of online learning and being a pioneer in this sector and providing more accessibility and giving uh, schools that maybe don't have online programs but have burgeoning online programs a model that they can follow. So I really want to talk about and, and dive into the online learning component and how you're able to drive that cutting edge innovation and always be ahead of the curve. Your, um, your, your programs, the, the, the amount of programs that you have, the delivery of those programs, how have you been able to be such a leader in the online learning sector and, and has that changed or shifted in that COVID area? And I definitely want to have you address this idea of tempo and tempo competency-based learning because I was sure. like mind blown. I'm like, what is that? I got to learn more. So tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing there, how you've been so successful and what new innovations you're looking toward in terms of the online learning space. Well, first of all, Liz, thanks for your very kind words about the university. I, I completely concur. We are a um, we're an institution that um, has been doing online for a long time, it, even when online wasn't the thing to be doing. And yeah. and some could you could certainly make the argument that today people believe that online is not going to deliver the same learning outcomes. I, I think that most of that really started to transition. Walden's been doing correspondence or, uh, for, for 50 years. We've been doing totally online for, for 25 years. And when we started doing this, we had a, a lot of traditional institutions, land-grant institutions especially, saying you cannot get the same student learning outcomes from online learning. Um, but over the years, we've seen that paradigm shift a little bit. And, and really what's happened since March of this year is now every institution that was really talking about moving online because they realized that was the future, that, that was uh, something that, that had to be done if they wanted to compete, um, if they wanted to stay, um, stay, stay open. Uh, a lot of the smaller liberal arts universities have really started to come to terms with that. But Liz, in March, when the wheels really fell off of our society, of, of, of what we're doing here, everybody is now embracing this. And it's not just at the higher ed level, as I'm sure you know. It is mm -hmm. at the um, it, it's at the K-12 level as well. And, and I have, so of the four children we have, I have one in grad school. Actually, I have two in grad school, I'm sorry. And then I have two in high school. And the two high schoolers are about to have to spend their fall semester doing online classes. And I'm concerned because not every institution has fully uh, developed the, the 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 faculty training, the student support, the uh, student training on how to even log in. Um, not to mention the the Wi-Fi and internet access issues that we have in in a lot of areas in our K-12 environment. So, it's a it's very fluid at this point. Um, we've been very successful, although we still have naysayers. We we still have people who believe that just because you're online, you're not as good as we are. Um, but I, I think that you're you're starting to to see that shift a little bit. You asked about <clears throat> tempo, our, and and that's our current um, competency-based education programs. And Walden was one of the first six institutions uh, several years ago um, approved by the Department of Education for something called direct assessment. And competency-based education is geared some, to, toward a student who is very self-motivated, very organized, very efficient, and wants to go at their own pace. Now, most students look at this and say, oh, I can finish quicker if I do this. But we do have uh, a pretty substantial amount of students who want to go a little slower than, than having a deadline of something due on Wednesday, something due on Sunday. And so they don't, we don't have an instructor in the class. We have a faculty coach who works with, with the student. Um, they don't interact on a daily basis, but that student has a list of competencies in every course, and they have to demonstrate that, some by um, taking a, a, a test as a form of assessment. Some might be building a portfolio of things they've done uh, in their job or in their career and others might be uh, a combination of both of those. And this is something that has really started 
to, to, to take hold in the United States over the last few years, much like what we saw with just simply online education um, uh, several years ago. Absolutely. And I love this idea. I think as a faculty member, I'm constantly trying to, I guess, get people to be creative and reimagine as far as faculty and, and those I coach in the, in the online um, delivery process since I work in instructional design about deadlines and how it doesn't have to be so strict and rigorous and you can have different um, methods of assessing and, and giving students a little bit more flexibility just like we do on the job. I might have a, you know, a series of, of different tasks I have to accomplish and then I, I balance my schedule based on what, how I prioritize those tasks. So I'm so glad that you talked about that because I definitely feel like competency-based learning, especially as we go into the, the next few months and, and, and uncertainty with COVID, we're going to have to start thinking in terms of how to best accommodate students that are working, that are balancing, uh, like you talked about, kids that are home and they're balancing their homeschooling needs. So there's, there's a lot to think about. Tell me, um, talk to me a little bit about student support. Because I saw a lot of um, support mechanisms and, and different um, support services that you have for students you definitely appear to really invest in ensuring that students are successful. We know that students that are online definitely need more scaffolding. Talk to us a little bit about how you do that and how would you advise those schools that are jumping into the online learning environment and have even thought about student support and don't even understand the importance of student support in an online environment. How do you get that um, across in terms of making sure that students are supported and, and what would you advise your, your fellow um, colleagues in how to inform their program? Well, <clears throat> first of all, this is something that is uh, oftentimes not even considered when it comes to taking on, on a, a program and moving it to a um, online format. And, and I'm a member of a, a group called the President's Forum, and this is a group that is um, made up of, of presidents from across any type of institution in the country, whether it's online, whether it's traditional, whether it's both, whether it's um, a state university or, or so forth. What I found out <clears throat> during our meetings early in March and, and April was that there are a lot of institutions that believe they are doing online education. Um, and, and they feel like that if you take a syllabus or an assignment and email it to a student and that student completes the assignment and sends it back, that that's online education. Oh, Joe, uh, <laughs> no, help me, Joe. I'm about to pass out. I don't need to help you, Liz. I don't need to help you. You got it. Liz's going to freak out here. Keep going. And then there are institutions that believe that if, if a, uh, a faculty member knows how to log into Zoom and – uh, open that up and have a, a, a session with uh, students in the class that that's just absolute rock star status uh, oh, wow. of teaching online. And so, but, but we, it, it, I mean, you laugh and, and we talk about that, but it's very sad. And, and so it is. Th right. there's a lot that goes into the student success side of it. And, and I'll just right. tell you, I'm trying to not sound like a, a, a commercial for Walden University, but we win uh, awards based on our student support all the time. As a matter of fact, awesome. what used to be the Sloan Consortium, which is now the Online Learning Consortium, it seems mm -hmm. like the Walden Very is, familiar with them. Yeah, they're it, a gold seal right there. That's right. And, and we are we are um, we are presenting there and 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 being awarded there uh, on an annual basis. And so let me awesome. tell you a little bit about how Walden Walden supports our students uh, through a, um, a a number of areas, if you will. And so obviously. Uh, I'll start with what we call our student success advising team, and these are the individuals who go through what you would know as a traditional advisor, an academic planning clarification, you know, to, to go through and make sure you're taking the right courses for your degree. And then we have something called the customer care team, and when I say this, this in front of our faculty, a lot of times I get pushback, and they'll say, Ward, they're students, they're not customers. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and and I, I used to be of that same mindset, but... 
our students and all students, I believe, who are taking online courses are now in a different mindset because they have become used to instant gratification. They've become used to clicking Netflix and something coming up immediately or mm -hmm. going to Amazon and something arrives at your door the next day mm -hmm. uh, or if you're unlucky, two days later. And, <laughs> and so they've gotten to the point where this is what they want. And so this is the level of customer service that they've come to expect online. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we can differentiate ourselves here at Walden is because w we recognize that. And so we have a, we have a team called the Customer Care Team. They're 24-7 they're support. Um, and so after a student is uh, enrolled, they have access to a customer care member. They can reach them by phone. They can do chat because a lot of people, a lot of students have no desire to talk on the phone to another human being. They just want mm -hmm. to chat. And so uh, we do that, <clears throat> and, and they can do anything from technical support to talking about how to make sure you, you know when your assignments are due. And then we have a lot of our centers uh, out, of, um, out of our uh, provost and chief academic officer's office, and we have the Center for Academic Excellence. Um, they, are, they are there to foster degree completion. That's their goal. They, they want to... Uh, help students progress, and so they. This center includes the library sits here, the writing center. So if you need help with writing, career services, if you're looking for a job, and our academic skills centers. If you if you need some, if you take a class, and and if, for instance, if I had to go back and take a math class today, I would implement our academic skills center to go back and teach me the Pythagorean theorem because, and, and I only say Pythagorean theorem because it's one of the only things I remember from my math classes. So, um, <laughs> me too. but then. We would have Office of Student Affairs to deal with anything that happens um, that, that students feel like they need to be heard in a different way. We have the Center for Research Quality um, that, uh, that basically looks at all the research come through our doctoral program and so many more. And I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, so I'll just stop there. But, but suffice it to say that student support is, is our top priority here at the university. Impressive. Joan? Ward, yeah, you know, um, I, I was looking online, and this is an important statistic, and it's going to take us in a in a different um, uh, way in terms of conversation. And, and uh, I'd like you to elaborate on this a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, uh, two things. Uh, the first one is, and I saw that uh, in June, or at least the press release came out in June, that Walden donated 650 tablets and 300 learning kits to the Baltimore City School District. Um, uh, uh, what uh, what was that all about? Well, we, uh, as you hear, have heard me talk multiple times already today about a mission of social change, it's not just talk. I mean, we, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you how that took place. We have, uh, long, we, we planned as part of our 50th anniversary celebration that began back in January, we planned to go around to all of our uh, areas where we have a strong population of alumni, faculty, uh, students, uh, and even some of our staff members, and, and we were going to do kind of a TED Talk approach, and um, we were those those plans fell apart when COVID-19 hit, and <clears throat> we were going to call that, or we call that Acts for Good, because whenever we do that, and whenever we do something like uh, a residency, meaning even though we're an online institution, all of our doctoral programs have a residency component where students will come together in person in Atlanta or in Houston or in um, D.C., um, all of these areas where, where students can, can come in, spend four days with faculty and staff and, and other students, and anytime we do a residency, we also do a social change event. We've done things from uh, packing comfort kits for children's hospitals, packing meals, working with uh, organizations who um, work with human trafficking and sexual exploitation. Um, and, and this thing in Baltimore where we did these tablets was, um, was one of these events. And it was essentially that we couldn't go to the community and, and bring everybody together and have one of these TED Talk formats. But what we could do is we recognized the need that there um, are, are people in the inner city of Baltimore schools. And by the way, we're not just doing these things in Baltimore. We're doing them all over the country um, to, to help these students have access to the classroom. Because, Joe, if we don't do that, there are a lot of students who are going to be um, out in the cold, if you will, um, when, when classes start in a couple of months.
You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hey guys, this is Joe, and I just want to remind you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. On the website, you're going to find all of our past episodes that we've done with some of the top leaders in higher education today, talking about innovations, ideas, and issues facing our industry today, finding out what may happen in the future, what higher ed needs to look like moving forward. So again, check out www.edupexperience.com. Now, let's get back to the action. Yeah, and, and uh, how many students are going online? Uh, it's, uh, you know, in the K-12 uh, area, my kids as well. It's, it's uh, going to be tough times for working parents and, and for the kids more, more than anyone. But uh, shifting, um, and I read this online as well in, in doing a little bit of research and, and uh, talk to me about this. If I have it wrong, please correct me. But from 2013 to 2017, and it could be uh, later than that, the number of doctoral degrees awarded to black students uh, by Walden University was the most in the country. That's correct. That's correct. We have, um, there, there are several things that we um, lead in this area. And so Walden's ranked number one for conferring graduate degrees in multiple disciplines to African-American students. And, um, and, and as a matter of fact, I think that uh, the source, I always want to give the source when I talk about that, but it came out of the uh, Diverse magazine, Issues in Higher Education, um, right. and it was the 2019 version, I think. But we are, um, that, so that happens, what you just mentioned, at the doctoral level for African Americans, um, and, but multiple disciplines as well. And I probably should have mentioned when we were talking about nursing, Walden's uh, School of Nursing confers more Masters of Science and nursing degrees than anybody else in the country. So um, we, we do lead, and I think that what we've seen, and again, when it comes to some of our, shall we say, naysayers around whether online education is, is, um, is viable, I should tell you this. I have a Ph.D. from Walden University, but I also have a Ph.D. from Clemson University, and I got something out of both degrees and uh, it was a very different experience in both of those but um, I think that what happened was when I and and Joe if you'll indulge me just for a second I'll tell you the reason that I have two PhDs because I get asked that question a lot a lot of times by my wife but um, but but when I was at Clemson uh, I was working as a uh, as a dean in a uh, at Orangeburg Calhoun um, Community Technical College in in South Carolina, socioeconomically challenged rural area. I was a mid level manager. Uh, Clemson came around to all these technical colleges in the state. There are 16 of them, and they decided they wanted to have an executive cohort, much like one of these executive MBA programs you see. And, and Clemson sent a faculty member to certain cities throughout the the state uh, on the weekends. And so we'd go and uh, you'd, you'd have class on Friday night, maybe at a hotel, um, and all day Friday, uh, or I'm sorry, all night Friday and all day Saturday. And one of the sales points for this was, um, and I was living in Charleston, South Carolina, and so th- they were they were coming to Charleston. They were going to go to Hilton Head. They were going to go to Myrtle Beach. And uh, and so when I started hearing that, yeah, I'll go to the beach for the weekend. What I didn't know was I'd be sitting in a classroom with no windows in a hotel. But I got about halfway through that program, and, and our cohort had had – we had a lot of people attrite. We had a lot of people drop out of the program. And it got to the point where it wasn't financially lucrative for Clemson to do this anymore. And they said, you know what, we're stopping this program. If you want to take classes, you're going to need to come to class, to campus. And so I was living four hours from campus. Um, The next class I needed was a statistics class that was at Tuesday and Thursdays, 8 a.m. on campus. I went in the registrar's office and I said, "Uh, ma'am, I have uh, this class I need Tuesday and Thursdays, 8 a.m. this spring but I can't do it. I'm traveling for work. I've, uh, we had two kids at the time, uh, I think, maybe three kids. And so, um, and I basically said, I can't be here for, for this class. When's the next time it's available? And she flipped through some pages and she said, it's available next spring, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 a.m. And so that didn't help me very much. And I was halfway through a doctoral program with no direction. And I ended up finding that, that Walden had embraced online education and, and um 
And Walden was my best choice. It fit my lifestyle. It fit my aspirations, and it certainly fit my goals. And uh, now, now Clemson later, after I finished, so I finished that degree at Walden, and Clemson later started um, doing more in the evenings, evening college and evening university, those kinds of things. And so, uh, for the last year and a half of my Clemson degree, I drove back and forth twice a week to Clemson to sit in classes uh, those nights and and finish that degree as well. So that that's how I ended up with two of those. But I also think that that's the advent of um, online education that it just, it filled a need. Mm. You know, the other piece there, and, you know, this, if I think it's a, a point to bring up, um, you know, the, the um, perception that somehow um, any institution that has a tax status for profit is um, a lesser institution or, or, you know, you fill in the blank with, with people's yep. uh, perception and, and whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm connecting the dots here. When you're graduating more African-American students over, what is that, a six, five, four or five-year period than any other institution in the country, um, you know, that tells a story um, about uh, this, you know, I don't even know what you call it, this, uh, you know, lack of understanding of of tax status and for-profit nonprofit models and, and elitism and nose in the air kind of stuff. And, you know, do you deal with that at all? How do you feel, uh, you know, when it, when, when people bring up the tax debt? Yeah. And I keep saying tax in my mind. That's exactly right. You're right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's all it is. Um, and uh, we were talking with, Oh, who, who, who do we, were we talking with? Oh, Art Kaiser, um, Art Kaiser. Dr. Art Kaiser um, of the Kaiser university system yep. the other day. And, and he says, um, uh, you know, it's actually, we're talking about student success and, and you know, how there's this feeling that uh, the for-profits aren't supporting students. And it's actually the inverse that, that, that the for-profit model puts more investment in supporting students than the nonprofit model ever have because of, of the need to see students succeed for various, various reasons. So anyway, I'm bringing up that topic just to see if you have any comments uh, there for, for our listeners and, and, uh, policy that is um that is the difference between the models so you don't have time for me to uh to to cover (laughs) everything i want to cover here what i would say is joe i'd really like to take you on the road with me when i sit down with a senator or a congressman at the state or the federal level because um you clearly get it and and there is a a strong disdain for for for-profit education um and and let me say that let me start with this there are bad players in the space, so and there have been, and you've seen these these schools close down. You, you've seen um, institutions just close up over in the dark of the night. But and Warren, can I interrupt you one second and sure. say before you keep going that there's bad players in every space. But let's fully not get agree. into that. You you keep going. Yeah, fully agree with that, and. And so when I sit down with a legislator who is is making policy about how uh, for-profit education will be treated, they don't want to hear that Walden confers more MSN degrees. They, or, or they don't want to hear about how strong our nursing program is, and they don't want to hear about all these other needs that we are filling. Now, now that's not to say that every legislator feels that way. That's certainly not the case, but there is certainly a strong um, uh, group that, that does feel that way. And, <clears throat> but, Joe, let me, let me say it like this. It's one thing to confer these degrees in nursing, but when our uh, – Students are getting out and passing the board, and and we've got a strong uh, passing rate there, and we've got our graduates who are uh, winning Baldridge Awards and becoming Fulbright Scholars. Um, I don't understand why that's not taken into account. I just want us to – I want an even playing field between all um, education institutions, and um, I I can tell you that – the for-profit sector, one of the things that goes back and forth, it was in the Obama administration, then the Trump administration rolled it back, was gainful employment. And we continue to hear about this all the time. And it right. simply means that however much you pay in tuition correlates in some some good proportion um, to how much money you're going to make. And, and you're going to pay um, – you're going to be able to pay your loans back if you borrowed money or that you're going to spend the right amount on tuition to not be in debt the rest of your life. Um so, and then you have to have a certain percentage of, 
of your dollars for your discretionary income that, so that you don't negatively, negatively amortize. Which, exactly. which, by the way, uh, let, let me just say is, uh, um, uh, I, I'm getting on my soapbox here, Ward, and I'm sweating <laughs> when I talk about it. Uh, coming out of, of my undergraduate degree in the State University of New York system, um, in, in debt, uh, in the state system was not that expensive, but significantly in debt to make, you know, $28,000 a year. Nobody was Nobody uh, said anything. my negative amortization at that point saying, Joe needs a better job here. I got my degree and I put sh- my shoes on and I walked around until I got a, a thinking job. And then I yep. worked my tail off to continue to make money to pay off my loans. And why, uh, anyway, you know, I'll, I'll get into this. Why, why are we, uh, you know, people are smart enough to make decisions. And, and I think where this is where the concept of single definition was coming from, that all universities should be treated equally. And, and I say that as somebody who works in the nonprofit space now, because I operate with many of the tenants from my for-profit background, student service, um, uh, uh, you know, all those things. Anyway, I'm taking you off track, but, but single definition and, and um, you know, gainful employment, you know, one, one makes sense, one makes no sense. Well, I'll just—I'll give you a quick example. We have a—we we had to shut down a program in our undergraduate program a couple of years ago because it—it it, it barely failed the gainful employment standards. And it, I'll just tell you, the program was early childhood, and and we had to shut down an early childhood undergraduate program because society feels like that one of the most important employees in our society, as an early childhood teacher. Um, shouldn't be paid more. And so, you know, we could talk for hours about whether first responders, teachers, all these folks should be paid more. We we all know that they should. So, but the the problem, what really bothered me about that is this same exact program at a very prominent state-supported institution in California had the same program that charged three times the tuition that we had, and they didn't have to play by the same rules that we did. I'm also going to say that when I came out of school, after an undergraduate from a um, from a private school, uh, and I played baseball, so I had a little bit of acad- or athletic scholarship, but, but I ended up staying there a little longer than the traditional student stays, and I won't talk about that too much, uh, but I got a master's degree from a private institution. I got a PhD from a private institution and a PhD from a public institution, so when it comes to debt, I lived on student loans while I was in school, even after I was married and and had kids. But I did that knowing that it was going to give me a better life. It was going to give me the ability to go get a better job. And I took that on knowing full well what I was doing. And so that's – Joe, you put it so well when you said an even playing field, single definition, and and that's all we're asking for. Because if I get a single definition, my demonstrated outcomes at Walden will make us a top-tier university uh, in the world. Wow. That's awesome. Sorry, Liz. I'm I'm monopolizing uh, the conversation. I know. (laughs) No, but going into the next few months, you mentioned this, and as a parent, I'm, you know, and Joe as well, we're all kind of navigating what we're doing with the kids, what's happening. Um, I have a daughter that's in college as well, so is it online? Are they going to campus? What, you know, a lot of the schools are really in slots now in terms of, you mentioned K-12, and obviously all of us in higher ed. There's been a lot of speculation about what we're going to do to ensure that we don't have a repeat of what happened in the spring and that going into the fall students have a better online learning experience They're supported well. You guys have definitely, as far as your school is concerned, de- uh, demonstrated that over the, the time that you've been delivering your quality online program as well as supporting students that are coming from the, the, the non-traditional working student, maybe coming from the, the disadvantaged backgrounds or some of the, the communities of color. What advice would you give to these schools? What some gems of wisdom as uh, the, the granddaddy of them all going into the fall? What would you say to schools that are going to be approaching the fall and need to tighten up and make sure that they're delivering a quality learning experience for their students online? So not only would I – so – in an effort to continue our mission here at Walden, we have uh, actually started a division in the last few months that is designed solely to help 
K-12 institutions go online to, and, and uh, to learn to, to train their faculty members and to do these kinds of things. And it is a daunting task, Liz, because if you were to start, if, if, if you're starting from scratch today to build an online university, this is a process that will take a couple of years. And I've got a, uh, I have a, a, a small group of, uh, of friends who we talk, I've got three, indiv- three men, and we text about everything. We've had a, a text thread that's going on for about seven or eight years. And, and so one of them is a principal at a private school in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we've had a lot of conversations about this. And, and I said, look, if I can help you in any way with your faculty or with your training, um, I'm glad to do that. One of the other individuals is a principal at a very large public school in North Carolina, and I I made the same offer to him. Both of them said to me, Ward, I'm trying to make it to the end of the semester, and then this summer, let's, let's see what we can figure out because they thought they were just going to have to do online through the end of the, the fall or the mm-hmm. spring semester. And now, as we're going into the uh, fall, they're in the exact same situation. And there are so many people coming from so many different angles at these folks talking about, uh, I mean, there, there's, there's petitions to say we need to have high school sports no matter what. We need to be back in a classroom no matter what. And, uh, or we don't, we're, we're certainly not going to go back to class no matter what. And so you, you're getting so many opinions from so many areas. And so I think the advice is to simply trust your, your, your gut, but also to ask for help. Find somebody who can give you that assistance and someone who understands this. And you can't build an environment like this. You, 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 this takes years to develop. And so I think what you're going to end up seeing is a lot of people buying instead of building. And so when you look at a learning management system company or when you look at a student information system company, these folks are going to be very busy uh, in, the, in the coming months and maybe even years. I mean, we just simply don't know. And two of our, our biggest places where we have staff are Minnesota and Maryland. And, and uh, we're starting to see things happen in those areas where our staff members, our faculty members, are seeing that their kids aren't going back to school until what a couple of districts have said before January 28th. And so there's so much uncertainty, and we're trying to figure out what are we going to do with with our – I mean, if we decided we wanted to go back into the office, which I don't think we're going to do anytime soon, um, I mean, can we even try that when we know that parents don't have kids in school and they don't have the child care for them? And so – um, there's, I know that's a little off topic for what you're asking me, but I think we're just dealing with so much fluidity and uncertainty that you almost have to take everything by case uh, or case by case basis because there's not a there's not a fix that's going to to play in every scenario. But Ward, you hit the nail on the head with the first thing that you said, and I'm really glad that you said that because that's something that is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine in terms of some of the traditional schools or even the smaller. Um, either nonprofit or for-profit, smaller colleges where they don't really have the expertise in online and they're not asking. They're not asking a Joe or they're not asking you or they're not asking me. They're kind of just trying to figure it out on their own and it's really doing the, the students a disservice because they're kind of just, like you said, they're turning on Zoom and saying, ooh, you're a rock star, but that's not online. You have to reach out to people that are experts so that they can guide you and at least give you a point you in the right direction so you can start to. You're not going to be able to build a quality program, but at least start to put something together that will help the students have a better experience. So that was, I think, a very good piece of advice that you gave right there. I, I agree that. with that. I would add that one of the, the biggest things that I worry about, I mean, imagine how hard it is to be a teacher in the K-12 world in a normal situation. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a thankless job. Uh, and now you're having to learn something completely new. You're having to learn to teach online and put up with all the other things that you normally have to put up with. So I, I feel for these folks. Well, that's uh, incredible. And, and Ward, we want to be sensitive uh, to your time. So we've got a, a couple of final questions for you. Um, uh, the first first being question, the second being uh, a sort of platform. Uh, 
and it's a simple, that's a simple question. You know, you should be able to answer this and uh, give us a definitive <laughs> answer. Uh, what's the future of higher education going to look like? Uh, and, and you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, Ward uh, will, will give us the answer. We're going to hold him to it as well. Invest all your money based on it. No, don't, don't do any of that. Uh, disclaimer. Uh, nobody knows the answer, but your best take on what the future of education is going to look like. And uh, after, after you um, are able to answer that in, in, the, in the best way that you can, uh, what did we miss? Anything that you want to say about Walden um, and your mission as you move forward? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think that there will be our, our next generation is going to look back and say, who was in charge of everything in 2020? And um, the the just the un, and and that's not a political statement by any stretch of the imagination. This is about what every one of us is doing and what we've seen with with COVID nineteen and what we've seen with racial injustice and uh, I, I mean the, our world is a place that most people would not recognize and uh, I mean to think even. Joe, Liz, I was going to say 10 years ago, people wouldn't recognize what we're doing from an educational perspective right now. Um, but I have to say 10 months ago, people don't recognize who we are from an education perspective. Um, you've got some of the most traditional institutions in the country that swore that they would never do online are doing they're, – they're, they're having complete programs delivered online. You, you've seen accreditors. And the same amount of money. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, and, and then we've seen accreditors have to relax standards, and that's what scares me a little bit because um, we hear accreditors say, look, do what you need to do to allow students to continue to progress. And um, I, this doesn't bother me at, at Walden, but if there is a nursing school pushing students through and and they're not very good at doing that I, I don't want to end up in the emergency room meeting that nurse mm -hmm. next year and mm -hmm. and so uh, I, I don't think we know the long-term uh, future here um, and, and when I say long term I'm talking three to five years uh, mm -hmm. I think the future of higher ed has been accelerated a little bit because uh, I've always felt like online is, is the, the future, uh, and now we've kind of kick-started that by everybody uh, getting into that mix. And so I think what's going to happen, if, if you want to be a successful university in the future, you're going to have to be an institution that realizes a couple of things. What does a student want, and what does an employer want? Because it, it, it matters not what you want if you can't make those two things work because we, we even now we're starting to see well employers come to us and, and, and want tailored programs and we do some of those with some with some large organizations and uh, students will continue to have more and more choice now because if they're going to take online they can go to school anywhere they want to it's and it's and uh, and, and what I worry about is um, the, the transferring because, um, let's face it, if you go to an institution, you move into a dorm, you start the semester, and you get halfway through and you realize that you don't want to be at school there, um, that you're not coming back the next semester, you, you tough it out until the end of the semester. But what we're going to see is the volatility of the ability to just transfer to another online institution if they're willing to take your credits. So I worry about the quality of graduates that are coming out at, at some institutions, not all of them, and, and certainly not at Walden, but in, in institutions like us that have been doing this for quite some time. So I worry about that, um, but I also think it really comes down to, to tailoring um, the ability to dele deliver efficient and effective education in the way that a student wants it, and whether it's on an iPhone or uh, whether it's on a, a tablet, whether it's on a computer, or whether it's in a classroom, you're going to have to be able to hit all of those delivery modes and do it in a way that doesn't violate the academic integrity of what you're trying to deliver. So uh, you also asked about uh, well what I'd, I'd like to say about Walden um, or anything that you, you might have missed. I mean, I can tell you one of the topics, this is, I've done a, a few podcasts and, and doing some interviews and those things, and, and this is the first one I've done that we really haven't talked about the racial injustice and the things that are going on. And so when, when I took office, 
um, in the president's office, I uh, my first initiative was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so but it, it, it just falls right into our mission of effecting positive social change. And so um, you heard me say that Walden's not taking a stance on these things, but we are uh, trying to build these toolkits so that our, our faculty can and our staff and our students can go out and, and further their own agendas. Um, we are also... Um, and I, I'm shifting a little bit here, but I do want to tell you that Walden is very involved in the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. I mean, we're talking about white privilege. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. We're talking about racism. And I think that when, and I should have said this when you asked about what the future holds, because that future campus or that online campus or that university is going to have to be a place where civil discourse, and I don't mean protesting um, anything other than peacefully, but civil discourse, the ability to, to disagree with someone and still not hate that person or, or, or want to fight that person, that's the environment that has to be created. And that's what Walden's trying to do as well. So I appreciate you letting me uh, share that. Of course. Uh, Liz, any, any uh, final questions uh, for Ward uh, beyond that? I'm just happy to see online learning being spotlighted. I know Joe is a great proponent of the online learning space, and, and there are so many things, gems that you shared with us just about the quality of online learning, how there's so much viability and the, the ability for students to be successful, and sometimes students that might not otherwise, like in your situation with the doctoral program, might not even otherwise have access or the ability to finish and providing that avenue for our students to be successful, especially students like when you have stats like that with those black, black doctoral students, I mean, it just speaks volumes to the ability to affect change, social change and educational upward mobility for students that need it. So I just appreciate that you were able to share that with us. Very well said, and I certainly appreciate your words and support. Sure. Well, Ward, you said it all. We're we're uh, honored to have you here on the EdUp Experience. Thank you. Uh, we uh, I can guarantee you one thing, and that's that we could put another hour on this and fill that time very easily. Uh, <laughs> with uh, you're a very engaging speaker, and and uh, Liz and I uh, are never shy uh, with the questions. So um, maybe we'll have you back soon oh, yeah, uh, right. as we see on things fold uh, 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 unfold. Uh, but we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, Dr. Warren Almer, uh, President of Walden University. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So please, as always, feel free to share this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your host, Dr. Joe Salustio. Elizabeth Liva and Elvin Freitas.